Hey, what you're about to listen to is the podcast version of what was a live radio segment on KPFA. Consequently, when you hear us give out a call-in number, you don't want to call it. If you're listening to this as a podcast, it is already too late, and nobody on the other end of that phone number is going to have any useful answers for you. You can, however, send in a question for our next episode by shooting an email to upfront at kpfa.org. You can also tune in for the next edition live and ask your question over the phone then. We normally air Monday mornings on KPFA just after 7.30 news headlines. All right, let's go to this week's Corona Calls. We're going to turn, as we do most weeks at this time, to new developments in the world of COVID-19 with a segment we call Corona Calls. Our guest is Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Swartzberg. Good morning. We have an extremely full mailbag this week, so I thought we would start right off the bat with questions from our listeners. Uh, Many, many about the vaccination plan for this fall, which as far as I understand it, uh, there should be a reconfigured COVID booster available as soon as mid-September that is contingent upon FDA approval. Um, Gus in San Francisco writes, is it safe to have the RSV and the latest COVID booster at the same time as the flu shot? Well, Gus, we don't know uh, because it has not been studied yet. It likely would be safe, but we don't want to just guess about that. So we have to study patients in trials, people in trials who get the two together versus splitting them apart. Right now, the advice would be to not take them at the same time. Sorry, you said the two together. He was asking about the RSV shot plus the flu shot plus the COVID shot. Oh, excuse me. Well, we do know about COVID and influenza vaccines. They can be together because that has been studied. It's safe to get them at the same time. You can't get them with the same injection because they're two separate injections. Hopefully, sometime in the future, we'll have them combined so you can get the two at once. But right now, you could get flu and COVID together. For your vaccine if you want to. Uh, RSV you can't because it hasn't been studied with the two. So RSV is going to have to be given alone and then you should probably wait maybe a couple weeks, maybe a little bit less and get the flu or the COVID and then COVID you could get the flu and COVID together. Suzanne in Orinda has a a specific question that may apply to a bunch of people. She writes, I am 80 years old, last boosted in September of 2022, and planning a trip to India this January. Is it better for me to boost as soon as the new booster is available and then boost four months later? Sorry, to boost right now and then boost four months later with the new and improved booster? or to wait for the new booster that is coming out sometime this fall? Got it. It's a tough call. Um, if she's not traveling until December, then I would wait until the new booster is available. And you were mentioning earlier that the word is from um, Dr. Cohen at the CDC that it should be available sometime in the middle of September. That's probably when it's going to be approved, and it'll probably take a week or more for people to be able to get it. And for people who want to get it at the pharmacies, 
Um, it may even take longer. So I think we're probably talking about the end of September, early October from the best one can read tea leaves at this time. So if she got boosted in October, she'd have very good protection for October and November and pretty good for December. You know, timing the flu, the COVID vaccine is really fraught with, uh, with danger because really you want to be maximally protected when you're going to get exposed, but we can't predict when we're going to get exposed. So I think that um, what I would recommend, Suzanne, is at 80 years of age, I would definitely get the booster and I would get it when it becomes available. Um, while we're talking about boosters, there is an uh, interesting piece of research that floated across my radar last week. A bunch of German researchers looked like published a paper in eBioMedicine looking at whether it matters which arm you get the booster shot in, whether it is the arm you got your original vaccination dose in or the other one, operating under the theory um, that if you are reactivating the, the same lymph nodes that produced an immune response to the first shot, uh, it would be different than if you're on the other side of the body. And they came to the conclusion by looking at... Uh, T-cell samples in, in people who'd gotten the shot in one arm or the other, that there is a stronger immune response if you stick with the same arm. Uh, curious what you thought of the paper and, uh, you know, what, whether we can actually draw any useful conclusions from, from you know, a laboratory study of T-cells. Right. Um, that paper certainly caught my eye as well, Brian. Um, I think that my bottom line for that study is it's interesting. It There's a biological plausibility for it. Um, if it's going to make a difference, I can't imagine that it's going to make a profound difference or a really significant difference in terms of protection for the individual. Um, so I wouldn't worry if you're alternating arms um, that you're not going to get a response, a good response. We know you do because we know from previous all the people who've previously been immunized, and a lot of people had them in different arms, that they very they did very well. So I think this is interesting. Um, you certainly know, there's no reason to hesitate getting it in the same arm. How big of a difference would it make? I can't imagine it would make a very big difference. Um, maybe a topic for more research in the meantime. Not a downside to get it in the same arm if uh, you can remember which one you got your first shot in. Uh, that's what I was thinking as I was answering, and I don't think I can remember. Maybe maybe they recorded that. <laughs> All right. Uh, our guest is Dr. John Schwartzberg. He is here to answer your questions about COVID-19. The phone number 1-800-958-9008. 1-800-958-9008. Uh, another <clears throat> category of question we have a lot of this week is about a return to activities. Uh, Michael wrote in with a lot of questions. The one I'm going to pluck out is, how safe is it to return to a gym that is frequently crowded? Boy, that's a question that I've been playing with a lot, too, because we go to, we prior to the pandemic, we went to a lovely gym not far from our house, and um, I really miss it. I'm hesitating to go back. It's still at this point. Um, that I'm at higher risk because I'm over 65. Um, so that's why I'm hesitating. And um, so we haven't, my wife and I haven't done that yet. Really, it's, it's 
you know, it, this comes under in my mind the the question that we're sort of the questions we we sort of deal with on a day by day basis, and that is how risky is what I'm going to do, and how important is what I'm going to do. I have a lot of friends, uh, many of them who are physicians who are going back to the gym. Some, many my age, so I think it becomes an individual decision. I think indoors with lots of people huffing and puffing where you don't know how good their air circulation is, I think there is, you add some risk to your, get, to getting infected. How, how important that is to you is really a very personal decision. Mm. How much benefit do you get from wearing a good mask in that circumstance? I think you get significant benefit wearing a good mask, like an N95, a KN95. Um, but most people aren't going to wear it in the gym. You know, I, I've tried to imagine going on the treadmill and wearing one of those masks. Um, I could do it. I haven't tried it yet, but I don't think I'd enjoy it very much. I haven't, you know, I, um, I, I wore an N95 on some of the wildfire smoke days when we first started having them in 2017, uh, on bike rides, which is my preferred form of exercise. And boy, it seemed to get winded faster <laughs> going uphill. You know, just a, a fractional increase in the difficulty of uh, pulling air through the mask uh, adds up to a lot when you're kind of at the edge of uh, what your body can do. That's right. And actually, that's been studied. And um, uh, there is increased effort, um, not a great deal. Certainly for uh, non-exercisers, it doesn't make really any difference at all. But when you're really huffing and puffing, it could make a significant difference. All right. Uh, let's grab a couple questions from the phone lines. First up in Marin, we have Sonia on the line. Good morning, Sonia. Good morning. I'm curious about if I get the uh, COVID booster when it comes out, what happens midwinter when we're also vulnerable? Can we get a second booster at that point or another booster? Yeah, that's that question, Sonia, is a really excellent one. And the uh, it's unlikely that it's going to be recommended. Let me give you a little background. It looks like with the previous boosters, we don't know, of course, with this booster, but with the previous boosters, we got we get excellent immunity protecting us against getting infected again for maybe a couple of months, and then it drops off pretty quickly. So that that immunity from protecting us against getting infected is is transient. Then though we get excellent protection against really getting terribly ill. We could get COVID, we could get sick, we could have fever, we could be stuck at home for a while, but we're not so dangerously ill that we even have to go to the ER, much less be hospitalized, uh, much less going into the ICU. So the, the vaccines really give us very good protection for months beyond that. How much longer is unclear, but we're seeing with the previous boosters that there's still protection out to a year. So protection against serious disease is long, not as long as we'd like. We'd like it for a lifetime, but it is long. It's, it's, we're talking about many months, certainly not many, many days. Uh, but the protection against getting infected with these new variants ever since Delta is not very good. Um, so... That's the background to your question. Your question is, why not get a booster every four months? You know, there are some people who are very, very uh, immunocompromised, uh, where that is a strategy that sometimes can be used. But for 
everybody else, including people in their 80s and 90s who are at high risk, um, the strategy is probably going to be at a minimum like last time every six months. But we we don't even have it approved for the first uh, first shot yet, so we're going to have to wait and see. Hope that's helpful, Sonia. Uh, Jean is on the line in El Sobrante. Good morning, Jean. Good morning. Um, I'm, I've been listening a lot to the COVID information about COVID boosters and the flu. And my doctor said, wait until like whenever October that these come out. But now I'm hearing a lot about RSV um, shots. And uh, I'm flying in the beginning of September. Should I get that booster? I'm only seeing like Walgreens has it right now. Um, <clears throat> and But I'm wondering if I should go ahead and get that now. Got it. Dr. Swartzberg. Um, yes, thank you, Gene. That's, that's an important question. I've had a lot of um, people asking me that. The RSV vaccine um, should be available in September. And given that you're traveling, I would get it before you travel. RSV typically um, typically is a serious problem in the late late fall, winter, and very early spring. But last year, you may recall that we had a big RSV bump in cases in the midfall. So we we can't predict it yet. Um, but the typical thing we see, if there is such a thing as typical anymore, is the late late fall and winter and early spring. So if you get it in September, will it give you protection out to early spring? The good news is that the studies that have been done with the vaccine to date show that you get protection, very good protection for up to six months and perhaps more. So I think you're fine to get the RSV vaccine and I would get it before you travel in September and you should be covered through the quote RSV season. You know, I don't think we've discussed the the new RSV vaccine in this segment yet. It it was approved by the FDA sometime this spring. Um, it hasn't been rolled out yet. Um, but notably, the the trials that led to its approval, the the group enrolled in the trials was people age sixty or over. So, uh, a well matched study to the people who are being targeted in the vaccination campaign. Right. That's a terribly important point. The RSV vaccine will be probably available for everybody, but it really is uh, important for people who are very, very young and 60 and over. So if we're looking just at the adult population right now, if you're 45 years old, otherwise good health, I wouldn't rush out and get this vaccine. You'll handle the, the RSV infection very well. If you're older, I think it, it does give you some degree of protection. If we look at the statistics in a typical RSV year, you're talking about somewhere between six and 10,000 excess deaths. So it does kill people, and most of the people who die are at the extremes of age, either older or very, very young. So that's where this vaccine is going to have its greatest impact. So, Gene, I didn't ask you how old you are, but if you're if you're below 60 and otherwise in good health, I don't think this is a major issue for you. If you're above 60, I would get it, uh, particularly going into your trip. 1-800-958-9008 for your questions about COVID. 
and other infectious diseases. Uh, 1-800-958-9008 for your live corona calls. I'll pluck one more from the inbox since we were on the theme of gyms. Uh, Julie wrote in to ask uh, about the risks of using public saunas and steam rooms. She writes, quote, is there generally a higher risk of contracting COVID in such heated and moist public enclosures? You know, that's a great question. And I'm I don't think I read any studies about this. Perhaps if some of the, your listeners have seen studies about this, they would they could email you. But um, I haven't seen studies looking at that. Theoretically, you're in an enclosed room. Uh, there's no reason to think that the higher heat is going to inactivate the virus. Uh, perhaps it could, but I haven't seen any data about that. So I don't think I'd feel comfortable in those rooms, but I'd have to look and see if anybody ever studied this. One theory, as I understand it, for why influenza was seasonal is that there are different atmospheric dynamics uh, during the cold time of the year that affect how quickly the virus uh, settles out of the air or, or how long it survives in the air. But that, that would seem to be moot with COVID, which, which hasn't settled into a seasonal pattern, right? Like it, if there's an impact, if, if hot and humid air outside has more of an impact than, than cold and dry air outside, uh, we, we don't see it in the public health data yet. We haven't seen it in the public health data. That's right. Um, the, uh, sometimes you read in the uh, uh, papers or hear in the news that uh, if this is a se- COVID is a seasonal virus and, and that's our infectious disease. And that's not the case yet. It, we see it in the summer, the fall, the winter, and the, even in the spring. So it hasn't set it into a seasonal pattern. Influenza clearly has. Um, and that typical seasonal pattern for people at our latitude would be Toward the end of December, we start to see a big spike in influenza, and it really reaches its zenith at the end of January or early to mid-February, and then goes goes down pretty precipitously, and by the end of March, it's gone. And one of the phenomena that we think can explain that is the amount of moisture in the air. And this gets back to uh, Jean's, I think this is Julie's question, and that is uh, during the winter, the amount of humidity is much less, and that may influence how well the virus can spread person to person. That's one of the hypotheses. Um, if that's the case, then you'd think that in a high humid environment like a sauna, maybe that would give you some greater protection that the droplets would fall to the ground much more quickly and not get to you. But that's all theoretical at this point. Probably a bigger factor uh, that the sauna is built to keep the air trapped in place so it doesn't bleed heat. Right. You're breathing other people's air. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, we got time for a couple more Corona Calls questions here at 1-800-958-9008. Let's go to Richmond next. Anne is on the line. Good morning. Uh, good morning. My question is, um, I'm taking a trip on the... Um, on 19th of uh, September, to visit my 105-year-old uh, mother, uh, who is uh, basically healthy but pretty fragile. Um, and uh, I'm due for a uh, booster for COVID. So my question is, should I get the um, current vaccine, and should she get the current vaccine, or uh, it's going to be too late to uh, we won't be able to get that new vaccine? Uh, before the trip. 
When yeah, was the last it. time you got a booster, Anne? Um, I'm sorry, I can't tell you, but it's been six months, at least. It mm-hmm. could be more than that. Dr. Schwartzberg? Yeah, that's you're sort of betwixt in between, Anne. If you get the... Yeah, if you get the previous booster and then the new one comes out, um, you're going to want to wait some time before you get that because you won't you won't get as good a response to it if you get one right after the other. We like to wait ideally about six months. I think the most important thing on your trip is you're right; it's unlikely that the, the new vaccine is going to be available before the 19th of September. The most important thing you can do is be meticulously careful with masking on your trip in the airport, on the airplane, and in any transportation in between. And um, the other thing you could add to that would be rapid testing before you go in and see your mother. Do a rapid test to make sure it's negative. That adds some degree of assurance, but it does present a little bit of a risk. Um, But I don't think getting the previous booster, even if you could get it now, would be the best idea because then you wouldn't, and your mother wouldn't, be afforded the protection of the new one that'll be coming out probably within a, a week or two or three weeks after the 19th. Dr. Schwartzberg, on, on the rapid testing, how long would you keep testing for after Anne travels? Like, what, what do we think the current incubation window is after an exposure? For most people, the incubation period is pretty short with Omicron and these subvariants of Omicron. We're talking about a day, two days, maybe three days. It's unlikely to be beyond five days. So the maximum I would be testing myself with the rapid test would be up to five days after the, after the exposure. So maybe a, a protocol for Anne uh, once per day in the morning after she arrives for five days, do a test? I think that's a good idea. Uh, that's a very cautious approach, but I think given her circumstances, that would be a very good idea. Um, clearly on day one, two, and three, those are the critical days. You could wait, and if it's negative on three, you could wait to five, but depending upon how many tests you have. Uh, and I hope it is a wonderful uh, and uncomplicated visit for you. Uh, I am sure your 105-year-old mother is going to enjoy seeing you. Thank you so much for calling in with your question. And Dr. Schwartzberg, thanks to you for spending another Monday morning with us. You're welcome. Thank you, Brian. All right, that does it for this week's Corona Calls. If you want to send in a question for next week, we've set up a brand shiny new email address for you to do that. It's coronacalls at kpfa.org. Again, that's coronacalls at kpfa.org. Or you can catch us live Monday, right after 7.30 news headlines at KPFA. We put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information is useful to a lot of people. We ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. appreciate it if you mentioned Corona Calls when you make your pledge. My name is Brian Edwards-Teekert. I hope you have a great week. Stay well. We'll talk to you next time.